Hey everyone, welcome to the Journeyman Firefighter Podcast. My name is Grant. It's been about three months since we've released one of these, and we're hoping to get back into the routine where we're recording and putting one of these out a month. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by James Payne. He was a uh, Baltimore City firefighter for a number of years, taught at FDIC. I'm not going to get too much into to the whole bio because we're going to let him talk about himself a little bit and and. We're going to spend about the next 45 minutes or an hour talking with him. So uh, welcome, Jimmy. How you doing? Hey, uh, Grant. Hey, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I don't like talking about myself a lot, but, uh, you know, like I said, man, thank you for having me. You know, but it's, you know, I, it's kind of great to get back into everything right now. Yeah, it's a great feeling. You know, you know, spending all my time in Baltimore and teaching and you know, getting back is awesome. So tell, let's start out at the beginning. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you became a fireman and what that path was like for you? Well, I started off back in, it's a lot of probably youngins here, but I started off in 1982. I started off volunteering. Um, came up through the ranks as a volunteer, took a bunch of tests to be a career firefighter. That's all I wanted in life. And I wanted to work for the city of Baltimore and you know, lucky me, I got in in 1987 when I was 19 years old. So, you know, it was great. I spent 28 years in Baltimore, the best 28 years of my life. You know, it wasn't about any kind of money. We were the lowest paid department around, but I was in Baltimore City. Wound up through the ranks, you know, started off at Engine 8, Truck 10. And now it's, I think it's called the 8x10. I've heard it called that once or twice now. I'm not sure about it. But uh, you know, I did my time at Engine 8 and Truck 10, promoted, went through the ranks, got into special operations, got into hazmat, ended up being the captain of Rescue 1 for five or six years, and then I retired and headed down south for a few years and took a little sabbatical, and now I'm kind of back into teaching. I've always thought, I've had my own company called Brotherhood Above All, and um, yeah, I love to teach. You know, you and I have gotten together. You know, I've taught with some of the best, you know, I mean, that, that's the thing I've, I've gotten to teach with guys like Ray McCormick, you know, uh, Mark Gregory, Jim Crawford, you know, you, you know, I mean, there's just so many people that are out there that are great instructors that, you know, you learn every day from them. And, you know, that's what I pride myself on. So, you know, for me getting back into it again right now, it's awesome. No doubt. We had, you had so many things pop up there in directions I want to go, but what was Baltimore City like? back in uh back in the late 80s and 90s i'm sure it's not like it is now but talk about fire department culture back then yeah fire department culture in baltimore was phenomenal you know when i came in you know i went through the academy you kept your mouth shut you did everything you had to do and it's just like what everyone heard you know you got out to your company and the first thing you heard was you know what forget everything that the academy told you we're going to teach everything again and of course, I was in with a bunch of senior guys. These were all military guys, and we were totally semi-military. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I came in, I couldn't even speak to my lieutenant, to my captain. I had to go through the senior firefighter. You know, if I if I was seen talking to the battalion chief, you know, that that better never happen. And those were the guys that taught me, and you know, taught me to be who I was, and they taught me about respect and basically seniority. What did that? pecking order of seniority do that we've kind of lost now because now it seems like you can talk to anybody everybody's got feelings everybody's got opinion they want to be heard uh, but what what are we what are we missing by not having that element you had when you got on 
you know, I, I think what we're missing is we're, we're missing. And I, I, you know, I compare it to the military. I, I think we're missing the battleground effect, you know, and I, what I mean by that is, is that when you go into battle, you know, you have to listen to someone, you know, there's orders and you know, you have to follow those orders. And I think when I came in, you know, when some of the younger guys came in, you knew by the way you were taught in your station, you know, you knew the rank, you knew what rank meant. And you knew that, you know what, when the lieutenant spoke, it meant something. When the captain spoke, it meant a lot more. And when the chief told you to do something, you know, you better get it done. Just like on the battleground, you know, and, and the fire ground is a battleground. And I think that's what we're missing now. But, you know, I, I go in and I teach classes just locally now that there's a, a rookie firefighter sitting with the division chief, talking to the division chief like it's their best friend. You know, I still don't like that. You know, I mean, that's the mentality of the service now. But to me, I think we got to go back to a semi-military regime. Talk about, talk about well, actually, like the, the fire duty that you guys saw. Um, you know, I got to engine eight and truck 10 back in the 90s. I was a firefighter there, promoted to pump operator, which drives the engine, demoted back down to truck driver. And I drove and towed the truck. And the fire duty there was phenomenal. And once again, now I'm with guys that, you know, you only read about, you know, these, these guys you know, fight fire in their sleep. And we just went from fire to fire to fire. You know, of course I worked with, there was people that I worked with uh, a Lieutenant, his name was Duke Thompson. You know, he was in Dennis Smith's book. Um, you know, I burned my ears at this guy, you know, you tell stories like that. People don't understand it, but uh, we didn't have uh, Nomex hoods until the nineties. You know, so you were taught that, you know, you used your ears to, you know, when it was too hot, your ears burned and you got back out. That's the way these guys lived on fires. I mean, I came in that way. I was a young guy and I'm watching guys behind me smoking cigarettes and fires. You know, not that that's what it's about, but, you know, those were the salty firemen that we hear about. You know, I had the chance to be with those guys. You know, that's kind of how I grew into the fire service. What, what things did they display or characteristics or, or, you know, ways they fought fire. Did you, did you look at and be like, I want to be like that? Uh, you, you know, what, what were those things? Well, you know, once again, I mean, you, you were with men that they were there to get the job done. You know, that they will pull up when we were foreign engine, foreign a truck, we had plenty of personnel, manpower, but they were there to get the job done. You know, no matter what, they went in, got the job done. They pulled lines. They respected their rank. And they more, more than anything, they respected seniority and rank and their firefighters on the fire ground. Now, it wasn't to say, you know, when you get back to the firehouse, if you had a problem with somebody, you might beef it out or talk about it. But on the fire ground, people knew the rank and people knew their job. And they got it done. Now, because they knew a life was on the line. You know, whether it was people in the dwelling or whether it was you know, each other. What, uh, what, describe fire duty for Baltimore. You know, we see a lot of stuff on the news, you know, row houses and vacants. Was it a lot of vacant stuff back then as it is now? Or, or talk to us about that. Uh, Baltimore city has been notorious for vacant dwellings. You know, getting back to engine eight and truck 10 West Baltimore, that's where I spent a majority of my career. It, it'd be nothing to fight. I, and I think for me on eight engine, yeah, I think we had in a 14-hour shift, we had nine fires. I, I believe seven of them were in vacant dwellings. 
um, it was nothing to go to a vacant dwelling, you know, but honestly, a vacant dwelling in Baltimore, I, I think I had more, more pulls or grabs from vacant dwellings. So, so, so to me, a vacant dwelling, you know, it, it, it's hard to compare what a vacant dwelling is. I mean, I know that it's defined what a vacant dwelling is, but, you know, it, it, it gets back into the safety and the person knowing what a vacant dwelling is and if they can go in or not, which I guess we can, we can get into further. I'm kind of getting away from the fire, sir, and getting into, I guess, something else. But Baltimore has a lot of vacants. Oh, let's, let's go into that while we're talking about it now. I know um, in uh, January there was a uh, triple line of duty death in Baltimore, and there ended up being a lot of scuttlebutt coming out of that, uh, whether we should be going in vacants. Uh, from city council, I believe, and from all uh, the Facebook and online warriors. What, what You've been there, done that. You know that area. Tell us how uh, you, know, you and the, the, the guys and gals in Baltimore uh, treat that or your thoughts on those well you know getting getting back to you know baltimore city you know a, a fire is a fire you know a, there are plenty of vacant vacant dwellings occupied unoccupied some are safe some are unsafe you know to me it comes back to your training it comes back to the the personnel that pull up on the fire you know we all know when we can go into a fire when it's safe or unsafe we all have a duty to do you know like like those three uh, brothers and sisters that went into that fire they went into a fire they went an attack in the fire. They were doing a great job. There were reports of people trapped. There were reports of people trapped in, uh, you know, dwellings to the right. You know, and they did what they had to do. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough call, you know, but I think it gets back to actually the person that gets there and defines the response. You know, we have to look at that call. We have to look at that home, you know, whether it's a three-story vacant, whether it's a three-story occupied. It might have been an occupied dwellings that are worse than vacant dwellings you know but me as a fire commander or me as a fire captain i'm there to decide whether that dwelling's safe or not to go in now i cannot let everyone else decide for me like the you know, city council's coming out with a really crazy bill they're trying to pass to basically tell firefighters what to do yes and to me you know the, the vacant dwellings in baltimore detroit city of Asheville, of Asheville, wherever they are it comes down to the firefighter or to the, you know, the person in charge that pulls up. You know, I believe it, it's, it's full heartedly. It's that person that can actually define the fire. What, what's response like in Baltimore as far as what rigs are you getting? How many rigs, the personnel are you getting? What kind of time uh, between rigs arriving? And then, and then did you guys have standing orders on who was doing what? Can you, for those of us that aren't familiar with, with, uh, operations. Let us know about that. Yeah, well, Baltimore City is ever-changing. Um, Baltimore City has a lot of apparatus that respond on a fire for, for a report of fire. You have four engines, two trucks. You have five engines. Now you have a fifth engine. It's for it. So you have plenty of engine companies. Um, you have, you have, so you have five engines, two trucks. You have a medic on the response, and you have a battalion chief. And that, that's basically for a report of a fire um you have four personnel on each engine i'm trying to be politically correct so if i say four men i apologize but uh so you have four people on each wagon and you know if you go there we have plenty of personnel so you know from there um I, i'm trying to like ex explain different box assignments you know that, that's basically for a full box for a fire alarm 
and then they break it down into different different assignments but we, we do have a lot of personnel when we respond to a fire is the battalion or incident commander taking command and directing the units or do you have kind of a first engine's going to stretch first truck is searching here second truck's going to the roof or you know what's that like well i mean and, and I, I don't want to speak on you know they're changing their tactics right now um but we would have it set up i mean and it was you know the first and second would do would do certain tasks third and fourth engine would go to the rear fifth engine would be right first engine first truck covers the front handle second and third floor second engine or second truck covers the rear and handles the basement and the first floor so baltimore has always been set with specific fire ground tactics and it's always worked out great you know i mean so, and you know when the chief gets there he knows what his companies are doing and you know so it, it's always been you know it's always worked great for the fire service in baltimore cool so uh, take us through your uh, promotions into spec ops. Oh my gosh. Um, came in in 87, promoted to driver of the engine in 89. I demoted to EVD, an emergency vehicle driver, which drives to truck in 90. I promoted to lieutenant, I think, in 97. I promoted to captain in 2002. I went to a, well, went to a couple companies. Um, I was in special operations the whole time. I was in, you know, I was a rescue diver. I was a special operations heat team person, which are, we respond in helicopters and did what have you, collapse rescue, whatever we could get into, we did. Um, was part of the Maryland Task Force rescue team. So I kind of did it all, Grant. You know, but uh, I don't know. You know, it's special ops is my thing, yeah, but I guess the you know, whole firefighting thing is more of my thing, I guess. How'd you get into, how'd you get interested in the special ops aspect? How did I get, uh, one day I was on a truck 10 and we had a pin job and we kind of took the tools away from a, a county company that came in and we started cutting up the car and, uh, I liked it ever since then. So, I mean, I just, I just kept moving forward with anything I could do. I mean, I just, I just learned every, every advanced rescue technique I could, I could learn. Very nice. Um, so we crossed paths at FDIC. I think at the time you were teaching uh, RIT with uh, Chief Crawford. Um, talk to us about your path into RIT and, and, and that whole thing. I mean, I, I'm an advocate for RIT, um, you know, and, you know, RIT is a really, really important job. And, you know, Baltimore has always had the mentality of, you know what, we never want to stand outside. And, you know, working with Chief Crawford, Jim Crawford, you know, it helped me to even see even more how important RIT was. Um, you know, and then me being on the rescue then, it actually, you know, I got to, you know, be on probably six or seven firefighter rescues where we're actually you know, actively getting the firefighters out. And, um, you know, it, it, it helped me become an advocate, you know, to Baltimore, you know, and, and talking to the guys that I worked with, you know, as far as RIT was, you know, is that, you know, we got to have these RIT people, you know, the guys got to be, I mean, you know, you, you want them to be top notch and ready to go and then be prepared. 
and you know, working with Jim Crawford with that, you know, and, and actually teaching the FDIC and seeing these guys perform. It, it's just awesome, you know, that we can actually push that and make sure that everyone's ready and we can actually save our own. What, so being involved with that many firefighter rescues or removals, what are, what do people, uh, what's their mindset that's off? Not having been through one, uh, you know, just having gone through the classes, what do you tell people that, that their expectations and reality are going to differ? Well, I mean, it, it's, you know, and, and mine were, mine were mostly, uh, you know, being on, being on fire as I was captain at a rescue one and we took 243 fire boxes. That was our first two assignments. So we're in a lot of fires and we had a lot of firefighters go down. And to me, it's, it's the mentality. You have to just keep calm. You go in, you do your job, you know, and I, I hate to use the whole saying, you know, you risk a lot to save a lot, but when you're going over a firefighter, you know, to me, you're risking everything. You have to risk everything. You know, so you go in with that mindset. You know, to me, it's never a lost soul. And we went in, we got, you know, I think it was seven or eight firefighters we got out. You know, some were just, some were just, you know, maybe trapped in a floor, fell through a floor. You know, some we had fallen into basements. You know, a few we had that were in collapses. Um, you know, so it's just, you know, you just got to go in there with the mindset. You're going to do the best you can do. And if you don't or you can't, you have to, you have to deal with that also. I mean, I happen to be on, in my 28 career, I have to be on the five line of duty deaths that we had in Baltimore. I happen to be on every one of them, you know, so and you got to keep that in the back of your mind. So I think that actually helped me going in to make rescues of not only firefighters, but you know, our citizens. Are you just that bad? Are you that black cloud guy that gets a lot of work and, and bad things seem to follow or, uh, or is it just the frequency in Baltimore city that much where in the course of, uh, if you're in a busy company in that many years, you're going to happen to be on, on that, that many. Well, yeah, I, I think it's the frequency. Now, as far as the line of duties, you know, I just happened to be, you know, and I, in the wrong place at the right time. I mean, I, I was on the last five line of duty deaths, you know, and it was spanned over 28 years, you know, but you know, I was, I was on all of them. And, you know, and, and what I mean by all of them, either I was on the first alarm, or, you know, we end up responding to the scene. You know, and, and it's just, I, I think it was just that I had the luck of the draw, you know, but as far as the fire service, you know, you're, you're going to get it. It's going to happen. And you have to be prepared for it. Yeah, you're definitely, knowing you, you're one of those guys that's prepared for it. And if it's going to happen, no, none of us want it to happen. Uh, but we want those people there that are into the job that if there's a, what, something we could do to make a difference, that you would have been that guy. Um, what, what was the mind not having been on a line of duty death, uh, incident before what, what goes through your mind when you're on that as the incidents unfolding? Well, you know, I, I can kind of, I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you like maybe the really quick story of the last uh, line of duty I had. Um, well, the, the last line of duty I had was Alan Roberts. And he, he was, I mean, in Baltimore, we only have 1,500 people, so you know everyone. He was, a, he was a friend of mine, and I had taken basically an overtime or a callback on an engine company in, in my house at Stedman Station. So I was on an engine company, and when we take 
callbacks or overtime, we push out the junior guys. And I pushed out a junior guy into squad 11. And squad 11 happened to be on this fire on Macon Street, which was on the east side of town. And, uh, you know, the call came in, you know, during that, you know, during that shift, I'm listening to the call. And I happened to be on engine 23. I went on rescue one. And we were taking the second alarm, which I knew. So we were already in the wagon. We were heading that way. We were listening to this call go really, really bad. And, you know, basically what happened was is a, a squad 11 got there. A bunch of companies got there. They got into a dwelling where, you know, a few guys got mixed up. You know, firefighter Roberts went on the second floor. Um, they opened up the dwelling. They did some other things. Heat blew back on him. He ran back down the steps and pushed, you know, pushed two firefighters against the door. And they pushed on the door and closed the door shut. So they were all stuck behind the door. And I'm kind of like listening to this as we're responding. Everybody they picked us up on the second alarm. And, um, you know, it, it, it was kind of sad because, you know, the rookie that I pushed out, he was underneath of Alan Roberts behind the door. You know, so I'm going to this line of duty. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to a trap firefighter. I ended up being a line of duty friend of mine. And uh, knowing that the guy that I kind of pushed out for overtime was involved in this incident and got third degree burns too. You know, so it's, I guess there's little caveats and stories to everything. But, um, you know, we got there and I got there on the engine. You know, and we went basically and got the door. We were there when they were popping the door, getting these guys out. And, you know, once again, I kind of, I don't know, I, I got into my Jimmy Payne mood and did what I was supposed to do and took care of everybody. You know, even got phone calls from uh, Alan Roberts' family asking what was going on and kind of, you know, dealt with that. Well, not something that uh, most most of us hope that we never have to experience that. But uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. So after an incident like that happens, uh, more so in a big city, um, I'm assuming. Uh, well, how do you how do you train or review any of that stuff? Or are there things that I would assume training in a bigger city looks a lot different than training in, in a smaller department? Can you talk to that just a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be like what's going what's happening right now. Um, you know, of course, you know, you look at the NIOSH reports and, you know, people don't understand that NIOSH reports are all about safety and, you know, they, they, they're going to tell you what happens and what you did wrong. Um, and whenever we've had someone hurt, you know, Baltimore cities went back and they've looked at everything. They've tried to review and change policy and change procedure. Um, you know, every time something like this happens, um, we, we see major changes and, you know, getting into, you know, I, I guess moving forward to what happened in January, you know, I, I see, I see changes right now with Baltimore as where we didn't have many May days. And now that I'm listening to the, you know, to the scanner or the radio, it seems like we're having more and more May days now. And, you know, that's a good thing, but, you know, I'm hoping that it doesn't become, something that's just a casual everyday thing where someone trips across the hose and it becomes a May day. We all know what we're supposed to do. What's a May day. How do we call a May day? But you know, I don't want to see it where we've turned it into, you know, once again, we're on, you know, Oh no, you know, I tripped over a hose. Let me call a May day now. You know, that, that, that's my fear right now is that the whole fire service will get into that mentality. 
Where do you think people are getting jammed up in getting themselves hurt or into bad situations nowadays in the fire service? Um, I, I, I think we're in the know-it-all generation. We kind of talked about that with maybe instructors. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who think that it's not going to happen to me. And of course, we've all thought that. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, you have to have your head on a swivel. I mean, we all go in to serve and protect. We all go and we have a job to do. But, you know, we still want to come home and make sure we bring everybody home. And, yeah, you know, I believe that, you know, I don't want to say, I, I think there's a causal effect between, you know, equipment because we have the best equipment now. I mean, I think, you know, hands down, we have, you know, we, we have the best equipment there's ever been. Um, so, you know, I just see that I, I think, you know, there's some people that still lack training or think they have, you know, or they're above the training, I guess. And I think that's maybe where we see problems. So we, we jumped into that whole instructor thing before we started hitting record. And we're into a, a day and age, I feel like, that, uh, you know, uh, younger firefighters into the job, uh, they take a class or two or they see some stuff online and uh, they may create just a Facebook company or a LLC or something and go out and start teaching. Uh, you and I are both uh, of the share uh, mentality that, that, you know, we want to share everything we can uh, so that, you know, there's no sense in somebody reinventing the wheel. And there definitely is a best practice. But I think you and I also grew up in an age with uh, some of those legends you were talking about where they made you grunt. If you wanted to instruct, you, you were just happy to watch them work. And if it was cutting pallets or doing their prep work for them and you heard their spiel about 10 times, uh, you saw how they worked, you saw how they treated the students, you saw how they demoed the skill, you saw um, how they treated the other instructors. And, and you kind of graduated into that mentality. Um, but can you talk on that for a little bit? Because, uh, you know, I appreciate that you're from that, that generation and, uh, you know, the stuff that you're doing out there carries that on. I mean, Grant, you know, and, you know, we spoke about that. Um, I was very hesitant about, you know, getting my brother above all company going again, only because, you know, you click on Facebook, you click on any social media, and it's like you said, there are multiple training companies now. You know, even five, ten years ago, it wasn't this many. It was nowhere near this many. I mean, it's, it's a new company pops up every day, every week. And I'm, I'm all for, like you said, you know, spreading the knowledge. That's what we're here for. That's what FDIC is about. That's what everything's about. You know, but, you know, there comes a time when, you know, I don't know when I when I came through. You know, you weren't the, you know, you weren't the guy out of the academy or out of some fire class that Ray McCormick or Mark Gravery or you know, you know, the living legends as we call them would be like, hey, you know what? I want you to instruct for me or with me. Now, you know, it took time to get to that. I mean, you, know, you, you had to, like you said, you know, you had to bust. You know, you had to go out there and bust your hump. You know, you had to load pallets, load excelsior into a building. You had to do a lot before they even knew who you were. And it just seems like now we have a lot of guys that, you know, because they're of their skills on the computer and they, they have a great, awesome website that people see them now as, oh, this guy must be good because his website's pretty cool or he has some great pictures on there. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys, Grant, where you still go back to the old school guys, you know, the Mike Lombardo's, the Presslers, um, you know, Mark Gravery. 
you know, Jim Crawford. I mean, you know, there's plenty of them out there that you can call them on a heartbeat and they're going to tell you the way to do something and they're going to tell you how they feel about it. You know, I mean, to me, that's how it should be. You know, I mean, it's just not about, you know, let me, let me go, let me go have a rescue, the rescue or a class. Let me learn how to do this. Let me go now. Let me instruct it. I mean, I, I've always been, you know what, to me, you've had to do hands-on first. I'm a firm believer in that. If you haven't done any hands-on as far as actually performing firefighter rescues, how can you teach a RIC class or how can you teach a firefighter rescue class? You know, like me was, you know, I teach a lot of auto, you know, a lot of advanced auto extrication. If you haven't done it, I mean, anyone can read a book, you know, look at it and take a class and teach it. But to me, it's got to be hands-on. Yeah, no doubt. And one thing I find now uh, with, we're in the information age, which is awesome because you can, you can get online and really anybody can be your mentor. You know, they can listen to this podcast and all of a sudden Jimmy Payne's one of their mentors. Uh, you get on Facebook and you, you see all these things, but I think what we fail to do is pause long enough to connect the dots and say, what are all these things that I've learned? How do they fit together? And how does it fit together in my fire department in my world? Um, I just think we missed that piece and I really want to encourage people just to, to pause uh, with each thing and see if, you know, is it applicable in your world? And, you know, we don't need 17 ways to force a door. We need about three that are go-tos that will work every time. Um, this isn't a, uh, one of those games where you can say, I'll show you 12 ways to open a door. I'll show you 15 ways. And it, we're not trying to outbid each other. So, um, and, and see that that's the problem grant is um you, you can only throw a ladder so many ways you can only you know use a halogen open a door so many ways i mean I, I like you said in the beginning you know i'm not about reinventing the wheel you know and i'm not afraid to give you my i'll i give people my powerpoint see i'm just like you know what just give me credit at the end now you can use pictures you can use whatever i have you know, because it's like you said, you know what, there, there was a very good friend of mine out there just on Facebook that was upset because someone was using some of his things. And I'm like, look, man, you know what, guess what? What is FDIC about? It's about teaching other instructors to help instruct. You know, that, that, that's what FDIC is all about. That's what it's always been about. You know, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying you steal a program, but you know what? If you want to use mine please feel free to just say, hey, look, this, this was Jimmy Payne's stuff. Or, Jim, you know what? That's something Jimmy Payne did. Because you know, Jimmy Payne probably got that from someone else. And it's in his slide somewhere. No, that's awesome. I just did a class this year um, by Dustin Martinez. And uh, right at, he, he told everybody at the beginning, he's like, hey, don't, don't bother taking a bunch of pictures and trying to re do notes. Uh, there's a QR code at the end, and that'll link you right to my PowerPoint. If you want to use it, use it. And uh, – you know, Dustin's just an awesome dude, but you know, it's, it's people like him and you and Brian brush that share so freely that it's like, no, like use it. We put, we put a lot of time into putting these things together. Uh, but start from that point and then make it yours. I mean, if you do a story in your class and you've got a picture up there, uh, you know, how much better is it if that student can just insert their own story that maybe makes the same point, but you give them that template on how to do it, which is, it's just so cool. You're right. You know, we always spend so much time on this earth and uh, the legacy of, of us or what we're trying to teach can't live and die with, with our ability to be out there and teaching. It should just, uh, we should want it to multiply. I applaud you for doing that. That's pretty sweet. 
It's just, you know, it's just, I mean, something, I mean, you know, and, you know, and I, and I appreciate you having me on here. I mean, but it's, it's something that, you know, I think, you know, and I don't want to say the older guys, but, you know, some of the older guys are older, you know, they're a dying breed. And I, I think, you know, you know, sometimes it hurts to see what's happening in a fire service. You know, and we talked about that with the way the mentality is on a fire ground. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to get into too much of that, the, the firefighter safety and health bill that Baltimore is trying to pass now, the mayor and city council, which is ridiculous. They're trying to limit a lot of things that the firefighters do in Baltimore. You know, and that's, that's something they weren't knowledgeable about. You know, and they're just trying to throw a bill together to really, really damper, you know, what a firefighter can do, which it shouldn't be passed. But, you know, I'm, I'm really afraid that it's kind of like with everything, I guess, you know, you're afraid to pass your skill and, and really give someone everything. You know, you don't want, you want to give just enough, but not everything. And I think it's time that we got to start giving everything out, you know, because, you know, it, we see too many brothers and sisters die. You know, we really do, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, and believe me, everyone's selfish in what they do, but you know, we really got to protect everyone because there's no one out there. I mean, they're not looking out for us. You know, we, we have to look out for ourselves as far as firefighters. No doubt. Um, that circle of people that we know, uh, those old school generation people, um, and even some of them not so old school, um, tend to live on the edge a little bit. And uh, we've, we've had some mutual friends um, that have ended up passing on. Can you talk to me a little bit about brotherhood and how maybe we should be doing a better job watching out for each other, checking in on each other? Um, you know, you know, well, I guess my company says it all brotherhood above all. Um, I am 100% about, you know, my family, you know, and, you know, my family is fire service. You know, I have, I have my family, you know, my, my blood family, but you know, the fire service is my family and we really have to take care of our own. Because you know, no one else is going to do it, and that there's been times where you know we you know, we we go on a fire, we we see something, and we think everyone's going to be okay, or we just think it's okay or whatever to do, and we forget about it, you know, or you know, or you know, you, you know, I we know people that you know you teach with them at FDIC, and three months later we haven't spoken to them, you know, and they've died, whether it be a car accident or whether it be in line of duty. You know, we all got to keep in touch when we got to take care of each other. Yeah, and, and there's different ways and we just, we just got to, you know, we got to keep this circle going. Yeah. It seems like the first thing, it's never a shout for help from anybody, but it's almost like a, a disappearance. And it seems like we're so busy with our own lives and the noise of the world that we don't see when somebody falls out. And, uh, I think it's when we see somebody fall out, that's when we got to be reaching out to them. Um, because, you know, the first thing is you go anonymous and you feel like nobody's caring. And then uh, nobody reaches out to you and then it confirms nobody's caring. Um, but we, we're just, we get busy and we need to do a better job, I think, of you know, constantly I, reaching out and telling people we love them and they're important yeah. to us. We have to do that. I mean, I guess I can talk about me a little bit. Um, when I was in the city of Baltimore, yeah, I was always in command. I was always a lieutenant, always a captain. And, you know, I never spoke to anyone, never did anything. I took care of my people. Now I had my crew, I had my battalion, I had my companies and I made sure they were all good. Now, I mean, as long as they were getting help, you know, I put, I mean, 
I was actually a peer counselor. I was part of the CISM team. I made sure everybody went to it. I only went to it when I was ordered to go. I was one of those old school guys that did that. You know what? But as long as my crews were okay, I was good. Um, when I retired and I took a job down south, I, I guess everything kind of built up and you know, it started coming out to get me because you know, I didn't have those same people to take care of anymore. You know what I mean? And, and it, that, that's kind of where I started going in the dark is when I didn't have those kind of people. You know, I mean, I didn't have what I thought was taking care of me because me taking care of people was taking care of me. And that's when I th think that I needed to talk to someone. Yes, and it's like you're saying, you know, we, we all have to talk to someone whether we think we need to or not. Was that uh, one of the major, we'll talk about that as being a major transition into being off the line and with the guys to going into the, the office. I mean, I, I definitely feel like there's a, a need for guys that are into the job that are hard chargers to move up and, and do the right thing. Um, cause they're the, you know, those positions are the ones we bitched about for years and years and years. So I applaud you for, for doing that. And it, it kind of inspired me to actually take that next move up, but talk about that transition a little bit. I mean, you hit on a little bit of it, but talk a little more about that. Well, I mean, I, I would, you know, I, I went from, you know, an active battalion chief, you know, in charge of, you know, overseeing stock, you know, I was in charge of rescue. Like I said, I had all my people that I took care of. I retired, got offered a decent job, you know, as a division chief down south in charge of special ops training. I mean, lived on a beach, had a beach house. It was phenomenal, you know, but when I got down there, I didn't see the service. You know, we didn't have the fires. We didn't have nearly as much as of anything Baltimore had. You know, so I didn't have that mentality to take care of my people, you know, and I think, you know, I guess they talk about, you know, you have this closet full of ghosts. I guess that closet opened up wide open while I was down there and I didn't know what to do or how to handle it. I mean, exactly. You know, cause I was one of those guys where you know, I didn't know who to talk to because I was down there. You know, and I, and I think, you know, that that's where you have to go back to your circle. And I had a few people reach out and I just kept quiet. You know, and that, that was my thing. You know, so I think it's something where we just got to keep on building on it and just making sure that, you know, you keep close to everyone and check on people. Yeah, no doubt, especially when they when they start getting getting out of when you see they're taking a step out of what the norm was. They're out of the firehouse now and you see it all the, everywhere, which is a good thing, because I think, uh, as Fields says, the water boils from the bottom and we're getting these bubbles to the top. Um, but I really feel like we got to having been living this life for about six months. Uh, it, it does weigh on you quite a bit. And uh, we need to check in on those those people that are moving on. Um, so I'm so glad to see you get popped back into the fire service. Uh, so you're riding back, stepping out Lansdowne uh, Fire Department in Baltimore County, right? That is correct. Yes. And yeah. uh, talk about that that reintroduction back into the fire service and how uh, you know just the change in your life and and whatnot. Yeah. Well, you know what, Grant, it was just uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, when I when I was down south and I was you know the chief of special ops. I had everything in the world and I still have everything in the world and I just, everything opened up and it just seemed like, you know, it was too much to handle, you know, but you know, I, I just, I just left everything and left everyone. I mean, that's, you know, my training, my everything. And I had a friend of mine, um, a, a younger guy is Jonathan Deal. He's a, a firefighter down city of Conway in South Carolina. And now he's in a, a fire department called Trinity he checked in on me and begged me and begged me and begged me to start training again. And, you know, he called me 
about a year and a half ago and said, Hey, you know what? It's time for you to get out and do this. And he got me out and it, it just kind of changed me. And I got back into it full force. Oh, that's awesome. You could definitely, uh, it's good to see you back out. Uh, you can see the passion uh, oozing out uh, like, like before. So that's really awesome. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? No, we only. I mean, you, you, we'll be back at FDIC hanging out again. There's no doubt. Awesome. What? Uh, but, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I just. Yeah, I mean, just you know, I just, I just wanted to um, jump on just you know what, Grant. You know, I'm, just, I, I'm really glad you reached out. You know, because it's, it's just a lot of great people in the fire service, and you know that that's what we have to remember is that we are a big family. You know. Yeah, for sure. If if people want to get a hold of you to do any training, t tell us a little bit about um, what what training you're doing. What would that look like? Uh, what kind of training are you offering right now? Well, I mean the company the company's still called Brotherhood Above All. Um, Brotherhood Above All Training Steps. Yeah, you know, I got my. You just look at Jimmy Payne on Facebook. Um, I've always trained in special operations training, advanced auto extrication. Um, firefighter survival, firefighter rescue. Um, I'm kind of launching out with a few friends of mine into uh, some airport firefighting training, um, some specialized military slash special ops firefighter training. Just some really cool stuff that I'm kind of getting together and implementing. I know it sounds crazy, but uh, and of course, you know your your bread and butter firefighter training. You know, ladders, hoses, whatever. So I mean, I'm kind of like jumping out and just doing a bunch of stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about what your training methodology is or how you do your teaching, what you feel best works for you? What do I feel best works for me? You really want to hear this? No. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have asked it if I didn't want to know. <laughs> well, I mean, I am, I am a total hands-on guy, you know, and, you know, my methodology of teaching is – is I'm I'm going to teach and going to I'm going to structure a course that'll help you the best you can help, but you have to help yourself, you know. And on top of that, I mean, you know, every time I teach, I've started every course, every lecture, whether it's been Firehouse Expo, whether it's been FDIC, Wichita Hot, I started off with, look, you know what? Every day I learn. You know what? When you think you know it all, you better walk away from the fire service, and you know. And if it didn't happen, I was down Trinity and I had some new person show me some way to loop somebody with a piece of webbing. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use that. What's your name? You know, so I mean, so my methodology is, you know what? I, I just think, you know, we have to fight to train and train the fight. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's just about training. I mean, <sighs> if you could tell us your most memorable call thus far in your career, what would that be? My most memorable call. Hmm. Believe it or not, my most memorable call was, you know, Baltimore City. I was on 10 truck and not the 8 by 10 but just 10 truck. Um, I was on a call for Parish Street. Little two-story houses, a whole block. They were vacant. We were uh, going in. We had heavy fire. We knocked it down, went upstairs. Um, and I found a box full of kittens and I took all the kittens out and I gave them to uh, all the little neighborhood kids after we gave them some oxygen. So you know, that's the memorable cause when you can give things back. 
you're such a softy <laughs> because I'm into uh, search and grabs and all that. Can you give us your most memorable grab? It was one of my most, it was probably one of my first fires. It was back probably 88, 89. I was on an engine company and um, now I was, I was on, we called the pipe. I was on the pipe going into a dwelling. We had, uh, I think a two story, you know, smoke showing some fire from the rear. We're knocking it down. The officer's behind me. I'm hitting the second floor. I'm getting there. And somebody jumps on me. I mean, you know, this person jumps on me with the line. And, you know, I'm like, man, I got somebody. So, first of all, I get jumped on by somebody in a, inside of a house fire. Carry him out, take him outside. And I got an old salty battalion chief. I'm looking at this chief for, like, accolades, you know, for something. And he's like, hey, Junior, that's what you get paid to do. That was it. So it was probably it was probably my first grab, and I, I still remember that. That was that was my first grab. But actually, they grabbed me. That's you funny. Know, but, uh, you got uh, the funniest story that you ever had. The funniest story. Oh my gosh. Um. Now, you know, you know me, I'm pretty serious at work, so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have anything funny happen to me. No. I find that so hard to believe. I mean, it's just like, you know, I think some of the funniest stories and funniest whatever has always happened in the firehouse. You know, that, that, that's been some of the funniest things, you know. You got a favorite prank that you used to pull? At Stedman Station, it was, uh, you know, it was the country's busiest station downtown in downtown Baltimore with the Bromo clock. Uh, we would always have uh, our local people that stayed at the firehouse as far as our people that slept outside. So they were our, you know, our residents of Baltimore that lived underneath the firehouse, you know, under, you know by the engine bay doors. And during Firehouse Expo, you know, I wasn't rescue captain at the time, but the captain before me, his name was, uh, well, I'm not going to mention his name, but uh, he was very clean cut, great man, great guy. but. Uh, we would always dress a few of the hobos or the bums in his helmet and rescue one t-shirts. And it was always good during the expo. There's a lot of pictures of that around. That's funny. Well, awesome, Jimmy. Well, uh, we've been going for about an hour, so we're going to wrap it up. But if people want to get a hold of you, uh, what's the easiest way to do that? Uh, you can look, you can um, just go to uh, Jimmy Payne on Facebook or I'm, I'm getting my website ready right now and I can definitely get that back to you. We can put it out there later, but uh, just look me up on Facebook. And if, I guess if you know me, everyone knows how to get a hold of me. So Nice. Well, I appreciate you sharing the story, coming on with us and uh, getting us uh, a little glimpse into the life of Jimmy Payne. So uh, uh, for everybody listening, I appreciate you taking the time today and uh, keep, keep being aggressive out there. Hey, thank you, Grant. Take care, man. All right.